thank you for joining Ecodirect Solar in Storage today podcast and training. Uh, today we are going to talk about different battery chemistries and we've got John Weber with Outback Power uh, Regional Sales of the Western Hemisphere of the U.S. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Renee. I always uh, appreciate doing these things with you and, and spending time with Ecodirect. Uh, before we get started, just want to make sure everyone knows that these opinions are my own and they don't necessarily reflect uh, Outback Power or Enersys, but I'm super excited to be here and talk a little bit about storage and where it all applies in this new renewable world. Awesome. Me too. You've been working in solar in the solar industry for uh, 10 years, a little bit longer? Yeah, I think we're right at 10 years now, yeah. Okay. And I think well, yeah. you and I started almost the same same period didn't we yeah we did uh so it was pretty neck and neck uh when we uh when we both entered the industry and uh, really you were the one that taught me uh really about battery-based systems you know here's how to size the breakers uh, for your battery-based inverter here's how you take a look at the different types of batteries and the chemistries and uh you know it was uh, absolutely fundamental uh for me to be able to grow and uh now, 10 years later, uh, CEO and partner of Ecodirect, and uh, you know, still uh, the focus is on batteries, chemistry, storage, everything ESS. So uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm, I'm yeah. really excited because uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, good information out there on different battery storage systems, but there's a lot of misinformation too. So uh, by hosting uh, this uh, battery training. I'm hoping that uh, we can help people uh, make the right uh, purchase uh, for their application. Yeah, um, it, it helped uh, going back. It helped that you were a quick study and uh, you were quick to learn our equipment uh, along the way because back in the day, our stuff was a lot more complicated. And with today's options in lithium, lead acid, AGM, flooded, um, there's just a lot of different options that are out there right now. And I think there's there's some confusion about where to find the best application, especially when we start thinking about what people are you know, the hot topic button is, um, oh, I want a lithium system or I want, um, you know, I want a certain name brand system or whatever. Have you heard of flow, right? No. This, this is an interesting one uh, because it's completely, it's 100% recyclable and it's a saline uh, type of battery similar to um, what we saw uh, for like the Aquion. Batteries. Oh yes, yeah. Do you remember those? I so, do remember uh, those guys. <laughs> and you know, they uh, for for us, and I think for for many, you know, they uh, they they just didn't always quite fit the bill, but they really did have their place. And if you had a really uh, slow discharge, so your loads were consistent but pretty small, then you could have uh, that type of battery chemistry uh, for your storage system, and it would work great, and it would last a super long time, and they mm -hmm. were 100% recyclable. And so we're seeing some of that uh, kind of older technology be uh, redone in some ways, and uh, you know become more efficient. And so now they're much larger capacity and scale. Uh, I don't think that those will be the ones that are everyone's going to get for their house because it would take up 
you know, the whole garage. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, seen a few of those and the old Aquion batteries, you know, you had four to six pallets of those things. And it's like, unless you have a dedicated off-grid shed or something like that uh, for those batteries, their energy density was just very, very low. So their footprint was gigantic compared to, you know, a lead acid or a lithium solution. And I think for most customers these days, how much is it how much room is it going to take up in my garage is probably question number two with question number one is is how much money is it going to save me uh and then you know maybe question number three is is um how is this helping the environment uh you know that's usually the order of of how people make their decisions on on renewables these days that it is and you know when people are considering getting storage uh, where it's going is is one of the biggest uh, questions that we have because it makes a difference. If mm -hmm. you are mounting it outside, you inevitably need to find something that has an outdoor rated enclosure, uh, or you're going to have to build uh, something to house that storage system. Uh, now, uh, with so many of the batteries being UL9540A um, uh, compliant, uh, it's easier to put them in the garage, but depending on the size system that you're looking for, it Usually it should fit, I would say, uh, for the most part. But you know, the larger you get, the inevitably the more room you're going to need to put it. And so it's one of the first questions that we ask when we're uh, looking at you know, which system is going to be the right choice for them. Uh, the other one is really like, how are they going to use it? Mm -hmm. and, and so from like the use case standpoint, uh, uh, and, I, and I really think that uh, everyone who's working in the ESS space and sizing and designing these types of systems really needs to focus on the use case and then what the loads are. And those two factors are arguably the most important uh, because you're able to provide realistic expectations for the customer and you can pick the best solution for their needs. Um, I don't know if you see. Yeah, and, and we've seen a bit of a change uh, over time because back when we both started, the cost per watt on solar was somewhere in the $2.50 range. And so oftentimes when people were trying to decide, you know, what do I do on my home? What do I do for my off-grid living or whatever? I remember recommending, hey, put more batteries in. You're going to have longer generator run times to get them charged up, but panels are really expensive. And now that's everything's kind of flipped on its head. And now that uh, panels are exceptionally cheap um, and, and arguably uh, inverter equipment's getting less expensive as well, um, the storage side of things has really kind of come up as the number one cost. And as you said, uh, understanding what the customer's loads are, you know, usually the conversation starts off with, ah, oh, I need everything backed up. And then you're like, okay, well, that's, that's a $200,000 system. They go, oh, well, uh, let's start paring that down. And, and really helping people understand the fridge, freezer lights, and a, a pump to keep the water out of the basement type thing are really what, let's use the word critical, and that's typically how we describe that um, backup panel inside the home is what are your critical loads? And let's be honest, critical. Well, I can't have my pool pump not run for two days. You can, you're gonna have to like run extra chemicals through it, but otherwise you're gonna spend $20,000 on batteries just to run your pool pump and make sure that it always runs. And they're like, oh yeah. But what I'm excited about is some of the load management systems that they have nowadays, where yeah. based on information coming in from a system, you know, breakers are automatically opening and closing, um, reducing. So if the sun's shining, 
power everything as the sun tapers off in the evening time it starts shutting some of those loads down and so you can put a really large pv array onto a home because it's so inexpensive keep the battery for the lit fridge freezer lights at night but then with these new load centers that they have coming out, managing those loads in an intelligent way so that if that 15 kW rays got full sun, you know, sky's the limit. Run your pool pumps and everything else during then. But if there an event occurs where you don't have power, then you have these very critical loads that keeps the Wi-Fi, the um, internet computers and things that the customer has decided are very important to them. And so it's it's changing how people look at solar and, and how they look at it as storage. It is, you know, and they should be, for the most part, those should be all pretty readily available by end of this year. There's a few. Uh, Savant is one that um, I believe is readily available on the market. Um, but other than that, I know that there's a few other ones coming out. And what's cool is that they're going to be able to be uh, uh, manufacturer agnostic. So it doesn't matter like what energy storage system you go with, whether it be like the Panasonic, Generac, Outback, you know, Solar, whichever system you go with, you can use whichever load panel uh, you want for the right. most part. I think Enphase um, is coming out with one that is going to be like they want to see it used with their system, but it hasn't been released yet. So we'll. Yeah. see what happens when it, when definitely it is. supply constraints have uh, resulted in some um early excitement and long delays <laughs> on some of these products yeah that they, they have uh you know and uh not to segue too much away from the storage side but um you know there's with the chip shortages and some of the um just raw materials we're noticing that from a communication standpoint that's really changing whether it's ethernet Wi-Fi mm -hmm. and what manufacturers are doing to kind of circumvent that uh, the shortage of materials and uh, that was just really fascinating to me. It was something that I hadn't thought about, uh, but is integral when you're looking at lithium batteries because they have a battery management system, which essentially right. is a, a computer chip inside that communicates to the inverter. Uh, John, because you have so much experience, I'm I'm just curious. Um, open loop, closed loop communication. How important, in your professional opinion, is it that closed loop uh, communication is established between a lithium battery bank and the inverter system that's going to be used? In theory, when you have that type of communication, you're you're making your battery management system a lot more interactive with the total solution. And so what I've seen with um, the open loop communication where they're basically, uh, for those that aren't sure what that means, is it acts like a replacement lead acid battery where there's no direct communication to it, whereas closed loop, you're getting that feedback from the system and they're they're sending command and control. The open loop communication, it ends up resulting in adding extra cost and arguably um, a little less refinement to the system. Now, there's some great solutions that are out there, and I won't turn anybody down uh, on that. But with closed loop communications, you're able to send um, from the battery management system to the inverter to that charging source exactly what you need without having to add in some resistors to burn off extra energy while you're balancing your cells and, and different things like that. So there's some distinct advantages and one could argue um, 
a well-done system on either end um, is going to have the same result. But I think that most of the time, if the battery management system is able to talk to the inverter, it's a more refined process and you're going to get um, a better result out of that than if you didn't have that level of communication. Communication you know, is always better. Right, and and that's a good point too, because um, you know if it is properly designed, if you do have a dump load on the system, uh, which a dump load is uh, really a way for you to bleed off the power. So if your PV array is uh, producing. Uh, um, more power than you're using and the batteries are already topped off, where does that power go? And mm -hmm. if you don't have communication established, uh, that could become an issue. And so that's kind of hard to tell, like how many people are very well aware of closed loop versus open loop. Um, I might post a, uh, like a voting uh, button under this if, if we can, because uh, I'd just be curious, like if, most people in the industry that are working uh, with these types of systems are like very well aware of that. And if it doesn't have closed loop communication, are they putting in a dump load or a way to um, make sure that they're not overcharging the battery system? Because uh, that is important. So right. And especially with systems getting as large as they are, um, you potentially have thousands of amps moving around, especially on the DC side of things uh, when you get into 10 or 15 kW arrays, which uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the prices for panels are getting so low that people are choosing to add a lot more solar capacity to their homes, you know, covering every square inch of their roof that they can, even on, you know, kind of, oh, it's a northerly facing panel. I don't care, just throw some, yeah. throw some solar up there. I, I'll pay for it if you guys are already up on the roof. Um, and so with those large amperages moving around, having that system be able to talk to um, the array and manage those amps moving around, it, it is going to be a more refined um, application than OpenLoop. But at the end of the day, there are some really good companies out there who have spent the energy and time to really make sure that it, there is no appreciable difference uh, between the two. But for the most part, I'll, I'll reiterate that uh, a closed loop communication, having that level of communication is always going to be slightly better um, than an open loop. Uh, agreed. And, uh, and, and so many of them are established already anyways. It's just uh, you gen generally are paying more uh, for those battery systems. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> what do you mean by levelized cost of ownership? There's a few different ways that people justify the cost of the system. And you know, one of the things that we struggle with Outback Power is, is we're historically one of the most expensive products in the market. But when you add batteries to a system, regardless grid tie, um, or if you're doing a generator, that cost of ownership is can be calculated a couple different ways. You can figure out what your cost of energy is over time. You can figure out what your levelized cost is um, just on that battery bank. So the next time that you have to replace it, this is what you have to do. So there's some different ways to calculate out what that levelized cost of ownership is. A lot of the time people will say, when does, or people will ask the question, when does it make sense for me to add batteries to the system? And typically that's where we start calculated in using the battery to offset for time of use or different things like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a pretty simple math equation, which is taking your uh, cost of your battery and dividing it by the number of cycles. 
and that's going to give you what basically your cost per kilowatt hour is. So if round numbers, if you spend a thousand dollars on a, a a thing that gets you a thousand cycles, then it's a penny per or sorry, a dollar per cycle to to cycle that battery. For now, I know that we have uh, coming from uh, you know ten years uh, ago in uh, battery storage. Uh, the majority of our the storage systems were lead acid, and mm-hmm. um, you know I think that there is still a place for lead acid batteries. And Outback uh, Power makes some very uh, robust, high capacity uh, batteries. So, <clears throat> like the XLCs, um, mm-hmm. you know, those are like the powerhouse. Um, for those specific types of batteries, may even like comment on the XLC. Uh, which you could find on ecodirect.com or Outback Power website. Uh, What do you think the best use case is for those? When would you use that over a lithium uh, battery system? That's a good question. Um, You know, the interesting thing or the neat thing about the 1000 XLCs is that um, they are almost spot on to any competition out there on the lead at or sorry on the lithium side of things meaning that you know 3500 cycles which is you know 10-year warranty um and a tremendous amount of capacity in a a pretty reasonable size footprint with the 1000 xlc's a lot of the customers that we see uh, using them are looking at uh, broad temperature ranges that the the batteries are going to be in so they're i don't know in the foothills outside of uh, san diego where you know it's it gets real hot in the summer it gets real cold in the winter there's snow up in those mountains and so we'll see products go up there where they have extreme temperature differences um and we also have customers who you know murphy's law will rear its head in some really interesting ways so trying to keep a simple system but a robust system is again where something like an agm or one an xlc 1000 uh, comes in because it doesn't have a battery management system it's just buckets of plastic and and lead and acid and it's simple and you know anytime you you get something complicated that's where that murphy's law idea starts to rear its head and there's a lot of customers who are concerned about terrorist attacks uh solar discharges um emps those types of things and um most power electronics are going to be affected by those types of events. And some customers are saying, you know, with Outback equipment, I can order some replacement boards and and keep them in the baggies and set them aside. But if a lithium ion systems battery management system goes out, um, it I'm dead in the water. There's no work around it. And so some customers will actually choose uh, something like the 1000 XLC because they want to be able to rely on that storage system um, and not have to worry about a battery management system being in the way of getting to that power. You know, just uh, out of curiosity, because you're very uh, creative and uh, talented uh, in several different ways, but if a battery management system broke, what do you, do you think that you personally, I'm just curious, do you think you personally could repair it? I don't know that I could repair it. I, uh, if if it was the end of the world and this is all I've got, um, I would definitely get out my my meter and uh, and my screwdriver and start poking around to see if I couldn't find something that was usable inside of there. But again, um, with a lithium ion system, that battery, battery management system plays a key role in balancing cells and everything else. So if you're able to bypass it and get right down onto the DC 
bus system of that battery. Um, you may be able to charge it and discharge it, but there's some risk that if you have an imbalanced cell, uh, things could get really exciting a year or six months or a few days even um, without that BMS. So for the most part, BMS systems aren't that's an extreme case. Like I said, the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if that's your concern, I, you know, I would, and not just because I work for the company, I would actually choose an Outback system. I'd order some extra boards and I would choose um, a, a lead acid battery or even uh, go with like a, an Edison style battery where you can, um, an iron, a nickel iron battery where you can actually own the dry powder contents, uh, get a, a still so that you can make pure water and you know renew that battery system uh, with those dry contacts and you have a, a generational battery with it. So that would be a very expensive investment and not something that I would necessarily uh, do for myself. But if I had a crystal ball and I knew it was happening, that's that's where my money would go, um, would be to make sure that I, I had power. But I did speak with a customer once, just as a funny side story. It was the most realistic uh, guy about the apocalypse. He basically said, oh, no, we've got six months of everything that we need, and then we're leaving after that because we'll either kill each other um, or, you know, the conditions will be so bad that we have to move anyway. And so it was just an interesting sort of like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, practically we're going to run out of food. We can't grow food in that amount of time. We're going to become, you know, people on the move. And most of the time when I hear people talk about surviving the apocalypse, it's like, yeah, okay, you have one or two years worth of um, of product in your home to keep you there, fresh water filters, you know, medicine, everything else. But then what? Um, that's probably a different. <laughs> that's probably a different podcast altogether. How to survive the apocalypse? Your renewable options and solutions. Maybe that's our next show. <laughs> You know, and I uh, will probably never see that day, let's hope. Uh, oh, oh, but gosh, it, yeah. it is, that is true, uh, because you're right. I mean, even if you're able to sustain yourself uh, in your particular bubble, um, you know, that's only going to be so long. So I think really um, the main focus is, you know, making sure that you do have uh, storage for when the utility disruptions occur, because they do occur. They're going to happen more frequently. It's just, it's what we've seen over the past couple of years here in California. We see that uh, regularly. They're planned. Uh, they say, hey, heads up, we're shutting off the power. So if you're on the outskirts uh, and that does happen to you, there are incentives. So S-Chip is still around and, you know, still providing people with funds to uh, make sure that they can uh, have uh, the incentive to get storage uh, because it does help the utility as well. Uh, and you know, there's, uh, there's just a strong incentive for that. Uh, but really, it's being able to use your batteries on a regular basis, right. like you use your phone. Your phone, you plug it in at night, uh, use it all day, and then you do it again, and uh, that phone just keeps on working for you. And uh, really, a residential or even uh, you know, commercial utility battery system will last significantly longer than your phone will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, using it for time of use um, and uh, really for... Uh, energy arbitrage is like kind of the keyword we're hearing a lot uh, because it makes sense and you can calculate your ROI. Uh, if you're, well, you're a homeowner, so um, you recently did put uh, solar on your home, right? We're working on it right now. We're in the, okay. the process of putting a, the, we're 
gonna we live in a very unique home here in uh the phoenix area and so we don't have any real roof space to put a, an array on so we're choosing to do a shade structure instead awesome with batteries yeah which ones uh did you end up going with uh for the panels i uh, will just... Uh, just for the storage system but the panels too so i'd be curious like you can uh, you know what are you installing yeah. I don't remember the name of the panel company. It's an it's an interesting name. Uh, yeah, I don't recall it off the top of my head. I'd have to stop and dig for it for a minute. But yeah, so we're uh, we're likely going to be putting a, a dual stack Mojave uh, system here from Outback Power on the house. So right now we're getting ready to release the Mojave uh, inverter and lithium ion system. But then we're working towards being able to stack multiples, just like with the Outback FXR inverter, Radians. You know, a lot of customers have more than just 8,000 watts worth of need, especially time of use and self-consumption. They're going to run those air conditioners that will outpace even an 8,000 watt inverter pretty quick. And so um, the plan here is, is we'll add more air conditioning capacity uh, once we add the solar array because yeah i'm looking at a 500 dollars a month or more power bill uh to cool this uh structure that i live in wow and i have seen the structure so the doom uh right yeah. so i'm surprised mm -hmm. that um it actually wouldn't get cooler faster like well you know a, a, a ball is the least surface area to volume ratio right what what they fail to tell you when you own a 40-foot ball is that is a lot of surface area. Um, and so, you know, the original designers of the home uh, used swamp coolers uh, back in the day, and that got pulled out, and now we have um, traditional air conditioning inside the home. Um, but I, it's still, it's just not quite enough. Our main floor is at 75, and I think I'm probably sitting at 83 degrees upstairs just because, um, you know, it's it's hot here in phoenix i think it's gonna be 108 today so um it's just a lot of surface area so that that's the plan for us is is to put in uh, a big array uh put in charging stations because we think that ev is going to be uh, part of it and so just to tell you a little bit about why i chose to do batteries and why i'm choosing to do it with the system and such a large system because really we're only drawing when the air conditioner is running and everything else is around 6,000 watts why am i choosing you know a, such a large array and everything else Part of it is because of the incentives that we have here in Phoenix, uh, switching over to time of use uh, is going to be part of that. So it's seven cents during the one part of the day and then a lot more than that. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head uh, for the remainder of the day, but it's when the air conditioner is running at its hardest um, that we would be uh, consuming it. So that 20,000 watt array is really meant to not only cover the air conditioning loads, but allow us to um, future-proof ourselves, and we're going to actually put in charging stations for EV vehicles um, at the same time because uh, we'll be able to offset the the charging to the cars and everything else. Because I, you know, if you listen to what everybody's saying, 15 years from now, you're going to be hard pressed to find actually a gasoline engine. Uh, it, yeah. It's going to get rarer and rarer as more and more car manufacturers take that over so we're trying to future-proof the house a little bit and uh, make it a bit more appealing uh when we go to sell the house as well you know that makes a lot of sense and uh it's about just fun fun fact uh, it's about two and a half kw uh, worth of solar that you need for an average drive um for an average drive so mm. we base that on twelve thousand miles a year and you know kind of used a 
five peak sun hours as an average. Just, I see. You, you kind of have to blanket it in that fashion to kind of figure out your size because it's still, it, it depends on a lot of factors. How often are you charging it up and how far are you driving? If it's only, you know, once a week, then you certainly don't need a system that's uh, probably as large as somebody that's using their electric vehicle to commute uh, to right. the office every day. So it's, um, that's good to know. And how, what size is your battery system? Well, it'll be a dual, dual Mojave. So each Mojave's, um, technically it's a 15 kilowatt hour battery for each one of them. And I'll be a dual stack, um, but really usable is about 12 uh, kilowatt hours. So we'll have 24 kilowatt hours and that should get us through that time of use period um, pretty easily, especially with such a large array, even in the waning hours of the sun, we'll still be producing something to offset that time. And we're fortunate because we also have uh, net metering. So any extra credits that we accumulate during the morning hours, uh, we can kind of buy back from the grid uh, in the late afternoon to charge, you know, whatever EV vehicles we end up uh, with. So let me ask you this. When you talk to customers about, um, you know, that two and a half KW you need on your roof plus five sun hours for the array, um, are you assuming that they're getting net metering in there or how do you, cause if a car's not plugged in while the sun is shining, you know, you're not getting anything. You're offsetting your, your consumption in your house, but you're not necessarily charging that vehicle. How do you talk about that? Uh, we do. I mean, it requires a longer conversation with the customer. So, uh, here, uh, really we've trained our staff and, uh, we train our installers to have this type of conversation with homeowners mm -hmm. that you do have to find out, you know, well, when are you going to be recharging the vehicle? Uh, is it during the day or do you work all day? And that's just not possible. So you have to do it at night. And if you have to do it at night, can you set a timer? So it starts charging it at 1 a.m. And between 1 a.m. and, you know, 5 a.m., that's when you're actually recharging the vehicle versus coming home from work and just plugging it in and paying, right. like, the highest price per kilowatt hour. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely, it It does take more time to have those conversations. And, uh, you know, for us, I think, uh, you know, like personally, I love having those conversations because you're you're so confident that, you know, well, here's the right system for you. Like based mm -hmm. on everything that you told me and or told us and, you know, the design analysis and you know the discovery for what you're really looking for and kind of the meat and potatoes, what is driving you to make this, you know, 30, 40, $50,000 purchase. Um, you know, sometimes it can be lower too, um, you know, of course, but with storage, it generally does you know, kick it up by um, about 10000 to $20,000 pretty easily. Right. That's just, um, and that's assuming that you're getting it right at the beginning and not doing a retrofit. So it's, uh, but uh, yeah, we asked them about that. And also, you know, we do talk about storage a lot uh, because uh, most homeowners at this point, I would say are aware that if they do not have storage, with their system, if the grid goes down, their system goes down as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is, uh, it's become very, uh, the adoption rate is very high for our customer base. And, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. We, we specialize in ESS, so energy storage uh, uh, systems. And so we've always have marketed that. Um, so I think people really 
uh, gravitate to our website and contact our sales and design team for that reason. Uh, but also, we have a lot of different solutions out there, right. and um, and a lot of it is a lot of these systems are referral based. Uh, if you do a really nice job for somebody and they are happy, they tell everybody about it. They, you know, check out this app. I have it all on my phone. Look at my, look at how much money I'm saving, and uh, it becomes, you know, just kind of a buzz for them. So, uh, we take a lot of pride uh, in making sure that we're promoting the right system uh, because there are a lot of different options. Uh, and one of the one of the things that we're going to be putting out there uh, in the Outback Mojave will be on this list, uh, but we're doing a battery comparison chart. Uh, so I've looked and there really wasn't one out there. Uh, we'll definitely we'll tag it underneath this uh, and put a link so everyone um, who watches uh, this training can can access it later. But um, we're going through and just doing a comparison to, you know, what is the max uh, maximum discharge current uh, for this battery? And what is the temperature rating? Uh, from a warranty standpoint, how many cycles are you getting? And just comparing Outback Mojave to Simplify, to Home Grid, to Fortress, Discover. Um, if I left one out, they'll most likely be on the chart anyways. Right. But yeah. uh, it's, uh, and, but we're going to, we'll send it to you. So, nice. hey, this is what we, you know, put out for like Outback and Mojave. Um, do you agree with our assessment? And then, you know, here's the lineup. And, um, you know, we're hopeful by sharing that information. It's going to help everybody, you know, make sure you're getting the right one. Uh, because sometimes, sometimes lithium isn't the best choice. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes, um, you know, one system is going to be, uh, have a higher uh capacity or output for your loads than another and it does make sense to choose one system versus the counterpart uh, but you need to have somebody ideally somebody that is familiar with all the different technologies so you can make sure that you're getting the right one so. for within the context of that that chart do you plan on addressing the ul9540 safety listing is that going to be are you going to only include batteries that have the 9540 listing or because um, there's a lot of options out there if you don't include that, but then you may struggle getting it installed in places like California. That's a great question. I think that primarily it's only going to be UL9540A uh, because that's primarily what we're offering, really, like for nothing else. Um, I mean, one of the ones that we get a lot is um, uh, by Big Battery. They have a um, a pretty wide variety of battery storage options, and to be honest, they, they look all right. Uh, you know, they look fine. It just it looks like a standard uh, battery. Uh, most cells are coming from overseas, and they're no exception. And uh, but like that particular one is, we get a lot of calls on because it's a much lower price. Right. And so people want to buy those batteries instead of a Fortress Home Grid Simplify option, and it's not, again, I don't think that they're bad batteries, but I think that there are better options that do have, you know, the closed communication. Most people, I just my confidence and to be honest, I just don't know that everybody is going to put in the right size dump load for their battery system or understand that if they take a vacation, if the power goes out and they're not there and they don't have a smart panel and 
they didn't set it up right, you know, you could really uh, cause a lot of damage to your batteries. So we kind of, we take the more direct approach. We know that it's going to work. We're very, we're 100% confident in all the systems uh, when we we're doing the sizing and design and recommendation for the products. And for us, that's easier. Maybe down the road, do one mm-hmm. that's like, you know, hey, like, why don't you want to wire 12 volt rely on batteries and series and connect them to a 48 volt inverter, uh, which, you know, or um, the Battleborn batteries is another one that, uh, unfortunately, there are homeowners that are like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to take, you know, eight to you know 12 of these and, you know, wire parallel series <laughs> at the terminal level and, you know, connect it to my inverter. And that's absolutely not what you're uh, supposed to do. So, um, Ecodirect is notorious for kind of myth busting uh, some of these um, uh, information discrepancies. <laughs> and, sure, sure. Uh, and it's not even a discrepancy. It's just people think that you can do that and you, you can't. Um, so it's, it's just a, you, it's from an education standpoint. So yeah. we put that out there. And uh, there's always two reasons to, to read the manual. One is, well, I guess there's three, one to understand how it works Two to understand really what the warranty is. And then three, what, how do I taper my expectations um, based on the first two bits of information to really understand how that system is going to work. Cause you're absolutely right. There's some pretty grave risk. Uh, I will say one of the advantages like what AGM or, or traditional lead acid batteries have over lithium with BMS systems is there's some BMS systems that if you over discharge the batteries, you've essentially bricked the BMS, meaning that they don't want to let you have access to it because there's a safety issue and they don't want to let that happen. And so, um, we have, Many customers who, over the years, uh, you know, back in my tech support days uh, and inside sales days, where people accidentally left something on on the cabin, left and came back, and you know, they shaved probably a year or more off of their lead acid batteries, but they were able to recover it um, because they're able to connect that to the Outback charge controller, the charge controller. You know, uh, they got it back up and running, and and they recovered. The recovery process for uh, a lithium ion definitely requires a little bit more um, research because it's kind of that difference between digital and analog. You know, if you have an old cassette tape uh, and it's been banged around and stuff, you can probably listen to what's on the cassette tape. It might be garbly or whatever, still very analog or an old record player, still very analog. But in today's digital world, you know, if you drop your phone in the toilet and don't pull it out, um, it's just done. And so there is some of that risk of... Uh, how do I recover? So just, yeah, what you're saying is, and I completely agree with, make sure you really understand in those extreme cases, because they do happen even by mistake, what is my recovery process um, for this advanced storage product? Yeah, Uh, we emphasize (laughs) uh, reading the manual often, uh, because it's not something that you can just like talk about and you miss the little things end up being the big things. And when you miss it and you could have just read it, uh, really it's kind of the faults on the installer at that point um, because there's the reason that it's in the manual is because it's key information and you have to know what's in there uh, to install and uh, make sure that the design is uh, going to work within your scope. Uh, Right. uh, But, you know, the good thing is, is that we've got a lot of, you know, seasoned solar vets like ourselves that, 
you know, together and collectively are putting out the right information. You know, here's uh, what you want to be aware of. This is uh, what you need to know. And, you know, from battery storage system, just to kind of tie it all together, it's knowing, you know, what are your loads uh, and what, how do you plan on using the storage system? Mm -hmm. If it is for time of use and it's mainly for grid tie only and you have the batteries in the event of a backup um, or a utility outage situation, uh, but more or less you're just using them to offset your bill, which is huge because they charge you almost three times the amount per kilowatt hour during those peak times than Mm -hmm. they do, um, you know, just uh, at off peak hours. And, you know, where are you going to put it? Yeah. yeah, it's like you know, they're going in the garage. Is it going in a shed? Um, you know, you do have to plan ahead for it, and um, you know, we have load calculations. And now there's a there's a bunch um, actually out there. Uh, I think uh, you helped me create our the one that we still use. It's kind of complicated, uh, not complicated, but I mean, it has the generator uh, inputs as well as. Um, uh, there's there's a couple things, but it'll you know take into account your loads, the PV array size thing, the amount of peak sun hours, yeah. uh, the inverter size, battery size, uh, and it's just really it's cool. I like that version because it's old school, and I I tend to get all the details. So like the more details, the better. Like I want to know as much as possible. Um, but even you know if you kind of just want to take an estimate. It's, you know, there's ones online now that are like, I have a microwave and I have a hairdryer or, you know, I've got two fridges and one freezer. And and it's really easy to just even punch those into whichever, like, um, site, whether it be Enphase has one, uh, Solark has one, I think Simplify has mm-hmm. one on their website. Um, but it's so easy just to figure out, like, what you actually, like, to get an idea of what size system you're looking at. So... Uh, there's no excuses for not doing it. Right. Yeah. And we have one as well. Uh, it's been refined a little bit further where it'll actually make a recommendation on the, the total system package. So Outback offers not just individual components to build out these big, beautiful systems, but we do have uh, what we call system edge packages. So if you go through the load sizing sheet that's on our website, um, you can actually get a recommended system or it says, give our inside sales team a call. You've uh, just gone into multi-stack systems. But again, that's where EcoDirect, I think um, you guys are one of the shining stars in the industry that if somebody needs a large Outback system, you guys have the knowledge. We've spent the time with you guys and getting trained up and, you know, you have 10 years worth of experience of sizing Outback. So you're... (laughs) You'll do. You'll probably do a better job these days than even I would. Now that I've gotten away from doing that on a daily basis and more into the sales side of just you know helping customers on a larger uh, scope of issue, you uh, continue to dig down and deep with uh, customers. So yeah, if I had a recommendation, you're doing a large multi-stack. You could direct a ton of time with Renee and and their team, um, getting them trained up, and yeah, so they can help you out. That's my endorsement for (laughs) EcoDirect. You know, thank you, John. I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it is uh, it is helpful to have like um, to have that level of knowledge from like just uh, sizing 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. Uh, because even like some of the uh, components have changed the overall sizing of the systems. It gives you the ability to see a broader um, a broader view of, you know, what you can do and what you need to consider but yeah it was uh 
It's always uh, great working with you. And my apologies. I actually, I'm going to go to your website after we get off this and go check out your tool because I nice. uh, admittedly probably, I don't think I've seen it in a little while, but I'm going to rest assured see it in about uh, 10 minutes. So <laughs> yeah, maybe we <laughs> can throw you. it down in the description below or something like that. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's exactly what we'll do, and uh, and I'll definitely share with you uh, the information on the uh, the battery comparison chart, uh, like I mentioned earlier too. And uh, you know, again, together is how we move the industry forward. So uh, exactly. I I appreciate you taking the time uh, to uh, meet with me today, and ultimately educate our customers uh, across the board on you yeah. know what the what their expectations should be and uh, I hope that everyone finds it helpful and uh, we'll we'll be doing more of these so uh, check back and you know, come see us next time awesome well thanks Renee appreciate uh, always uh, spending some time with you and look forward to hopefully seeing you at SPI this year in Anaheim that's right uh, so, although I think yeah. they changed the name of the show I don't think it's SPI anymore it's something else R plus ESS. Sure. Rest plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yes, that is, uh, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a great show. Uh, they do have a very heavy emphasis on uh, storage specifically. Uh, so I think uh, there's just going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's going to be um, you know, very educational too. And uh, we'll definitely have to meet up there. Uh, yeah. And, and reconnect and maybe we'll do one live uh from the there show that'd be pretty yeah. fun yeah we'll have a booth there it'll be exciting we'll be showing the mojave off there and, and whatnot um and yeah just uh look for the show it's in mid-september so love to see you i think that may be the next time we get to see each other in person yes it'll come fast no doubt uh, we're already Gosh. in you know <laughs> uh rolling through the year here but uh you know it's fun so we'll we'll keep doing it <laughs> but cool. uh Thank you again, John, and yes. we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Renee. Appreciate your time. Likewise. Thank you. Um, so even like the title, A-N-E, what does that mean? A-N-E. Who, who, uh, you, who are you asking? Uh, I guess on the top, well, John, so it says Outback oh. Power. <laughs> A N E lithium renewables. Um, that's me mistyping a D. Oh. <laughs> 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 okay. I had to right. look. I was like, uh, yeah. So the E and the D are right next to each other. That's why. Okay.